You're listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about Proposition 3. We hear a reflection on living in the present. And we hear a poem by Joseph Plunkett, I See His Blood Upon the Rose, read by Paul Cooch. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of um, Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me, as always, Father Steve. Well, Father Steve, I am going to start with the weather because... We always, I mean, we almost always do. Almost always, but I'm intentionally doing it this time, not just tripping into the topic. It's early October. It's one of the best times of the year. The leaves have popped. Um, last Friday, the Young Families Group had a gathering at the Clark's home. Uh, we had a bonfire in the evening, potluck with uh, outdoors with Wonderful. all these different fall soups. We had hot cider. It was just such a great kind of fall event. The only time kind of year you can do something like that is in the fall. And it just I left that event just feeling so satisfied with life. And today it's going to be in the mid seventies <laughs> with blue skies That's great. and, and, the, and the, the leaves turning. No, I I love fall. I love being in a state, a city, a, uh, an area where we actually get all four seasons yeah. uh, in a serious way. I just um, the only thing that I I would prefer not is having winter as long as it is. I uh, lived in Washington D.C. for seven years, where winter is about. Six weeks long, and I love that. <laughs> well, I, I would say this, that, that if winter is going to be as long as it is here, we ought to have snow more yes. so that we can enjoy winter Instead activities. Of cold rain. <laughs> yeah, or just gray, dirty snow. All right. Uh, but aside from that, um, you know, it's, uh, it's also football season. And uh, I don't want to talk about that. Okay, well, let that one go then. <laughs> I thought that's what you were going to say we're going to talk about. No, no, we're no, not. I, I, in all honesty, that just came to mind, so I wasn't planning on it. Right, it was not right. premeditated. <laughs> um, I'm not. Right. I, I'm <laughs> we'll not. let that go. <laughs> um, well, anyways, um, as, as I'm sure all of our listeners know, we're right now in the middle of a... A huge battle um, in our state. Um, I don't use that word lightly. I think this is the forces of good versus the forces of evil. Um, we have this Proposition 3 that has um, been put onto the, the ballot uh, for November. And uh, this proposition proposes to put uh, abortion as a constitutional right in the state of Michigan following the fall of Roe v. Wade. Um, those that are promoting this proposition are claiming that it all it does is it enshrines uh, the rights of Roe v. Wade in uh, the Michigan Constitution. Um, and so um, right now, all the polling is showing that this is going to pass. Um, we're working as hard as we can um, at the diocese. I know um, here at Resurrection, we've been um, getting people um, going in, in great numbers going yeah. out door to door. Mm -hmm. uh, we had the um, the lay equipping webinar that we showed at the parish. Mm -hmm. So we're doing what we can here at the parish. Um, 
You know, I, I would say the vast majority, uh, I, I can't say this definitively, but I would say the vast majority of people who are a part of the parish are going to vote no. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think people come to resurrection not because they're cultural Catholics or that, you know, this is just where they've always come, mm-hmm. come to, to parish, but they've, they've come to, to choose um, a place that holds on to the church's teaching. So I, I think that our parish... Uh, is for the most part going to vote against it. And, and the, the issue for us is to get them to get out yeah. the vote, uh, but also to potentially help those who might be in that persuadable middle uh, who may not be strongly either pro-choice or pro-life mm-hmm. uh, uh, to stand against it because it really is, as the language of the ad campaign says, it's extreme, mm-hmm. and it is confusing, and I think it's got tremendous uncertainty for how laws are going to be imposed uh, or applied in the future. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm like as you said. I, I expect most people in in our parish to be voting no, but what we need people in our parish to be doing is talking to their neighbors and Absolutely. friends, and and working to try to get others in their spheres to be voting no. Um, I thought we could go through the proposal a little bit. Um, I know that there's been multiple opportunities for people to learn more about it, but we could have a little short conversation about it. Well, one of the things before we do that, and I think that's really important because early on after I read uh, the bishop's letter uh, to the parish and then the week after that, I had finally looked at the language of the constitutional amendment. I was even puzzled Mm -hmm. uh, about how what the bishop concluded from the language, uh, how he was applying that. And I could see how it would be easy to accuse us of being deceptive Mm -hmm. uh, or exaggerating. Uh, So I think for our listeners, it would be helpful uh, to have you talk about some of those things that have been misconstrued. Uh, But I think the inference that the bishop and those at MCC and those who are fighting this, the ramifications of this constitutional amendment are as bad as the bishop and others claim. Yeah. And let's talk about so why. The first, the first issue right, right off the bat is this is a constitutional amendment. So uh, a constitutional amendment is not like other laws that are passed through our legislature where they can be amended or adjusted as time goes on and we see the, the effects of, of a certain law. A constitutional amendment means it's in the Constitution. It cannot be changed unless there is a, another uh, constitutional amendment. And it overrides any laws that conflict with it. So here in Michigan, over the past 50-some years with Roe v. Wade, we've had, um, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 or so laws that have touched upon the issue of abortion and that coexisted with Roe v. Wade. All those laws would have to go away because of this being a constitutional amendment. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, but as we dig into the language, the 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 amendment is um, a right granted to an individual, not uh, a woman. And so it does not uh, it does not indicate age or sex. Um, as to who uh, has this right. And so all of the language that follows is applied to literally anyone from the time they're born onward. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that seems a little bit, you know, exaggerating to say born, 
But as we'll go through, you'll see that this could affect our children as well. Um, So um, it's a it's a fundamental right. Um, And that's what they're claiming, that they want it to be a fundamental right Mm -hmm. that applies to every individual, not just adults, uh, but uh, it could be children as well. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So one of the first things that we see is it lists all the different rights surrounding uh, reproduction um, and includes sterilization. And so this is one of the first kind of triggers, um, since it's not um, limited to women, but um, could be of any person or age or sex, this could apply to young boys. And so we know that there's been a push in our culture to uh, give children um, cross-sex hormones and sterilizing hormones so that they don't go into puberty. Um, This would give a 10-year-old boy an absolute fundamental right to get um, cross-sex hormones to stop puberty, and his parents couldn't do anything about it. Um, So, I mean, one of of the things that... that, um, uh, one of the laws that had been established is parental notification for abortion or any of these mm-hmm. uh, contra- contraception, uh, contraception prescriptions, etc. So all of those things. Now, you, you go to boy, I would say girls who uh, would naturally be able to conceive, mm-hmm. uh, at least pe- post-pubescent uh, girls, uh, women would be able to do that. So they could seek sterilization. Yes. And so boys also could seek sterilization to become, uh, quote-unquote, a, a woman. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. Even mm-hmm. if that's not possible for yeah. that boy who wanted to identify as a girl or as a woman to conceive and bear a child. Yeah. So the sterilization is a is a risk. Some might say it's a stretch, but the language is unclear and uncertain how that should be limited. Mm-hmm. In fact, if there's anything about this language, it's that it's expansive yeah. and exhaustive. Well, the, the, the reason I, I started with that specific example is because that's at the, like you said, when you first read through it, it just kind of maybe seems like boilerplate abortion law language. But because they chose certain words like individual rather than woman, now it opens it up to all these other possibilities. And as I've read um, in in the um, secular news, different um, uh, op-eds and whatnot from the the yes side of the issue, um, the most that they can say is, well, we don't know for sure what that would mean, and it would have to be uh, litigated in the courts. Well, that's another reason why it shouldn't be in the Constitution. If we don't know what the law is going to do, why yeah, are we I think, putting I it think in the Constitution? This, this, uh, should this pass, God forbid, uh, it is a boon for litigants. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? yeah. This will be- and the, the, the lawyers who mm-hmm. will be making a lot of money. Yeah. So since this is a, considered a fundamental right— uh, no one can contradict that right. And so parental notification laws, parental consent laws would all be um, challenged or... or I'm guessing a, a waiting period also would oh, be... waiting periods would be done. Um, uh, they indicate in here that no longer is the standard for um, consent to be informed consent. Uh, it's going to be um, optional consent. Like you'll have to request the information. Uh, so, so consent is presumed. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and so to, if if like for right now, you would have to um, if you wanted to get an abortion, you'd have to get all this literature. You'd have to have an ultrasound, etc., um, so that you understood what you were doing before uh, getting the abortion. Uh, now you would have to specifically seek Ask out that information. information. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, so um, that's one uh, one issue. Um, another one, uh, I think this is in paragraph three. Oh, I'm sorry, it, it wasn't optional consent; it was voluntary consent. So I just want to make sure I get the words okay. uh, wording right. Um, another uh, issue in paragraph three here is that. Um, it says, nor shall the state penalize, prosecute, or otherwise take adverse action against someone for aiding and assisting a pregnant individual and exercising their right to reproductive freedom. So if there's a botched abortion and a woman is injured or harmed or, God forbid, even killed, mm-hmm. the doctors can't be pursued for malpractice. When you think about Gosnell's uh, abortion mill out in -hmm. in Pennsylvania. Exactly. uh, The horrors of that. And uh, yeah, I I, I think this was pulled together really rapidly uh, by the the pro-abortion lobby and really the progressive uh, lobby. I don't know if they even want that Mm -hmm. in here. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily accuse um, the other side of the worst possible stuff, like the Gosnell stuff. I think they, stuff. they, they rushed, but they it's rushed definitely open to it. To it. And, and I think it's that, hence uh, the extreme uh, claim. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, they claim that it is extreme and it's it's dangerous uh, for girls and women, not to mention the unborn children. Yeah. So it's not that far fetched to have a scenario where your 15 year old daughter would go and get an abortion without your knowledge. And then be seriously harmed in that abortion, and you would not have any recourse to um, to take the doctor to court for the damage that he did to your daughter. And I think the other danger—I don't know if if this would be the case—but if let's imagine there was statutory rape, and uh, then there was a forced abortion, uh, the statutory rape might still be a crime, but the coerced abortion may not be. Well, there's even some question about. Um, how this is at kind of the more um, far end of possibilities. Um, but if uh, if an individual has um, a fundamental right to all aspects of reproduction, uh, that could, given the right kind of activist judge, include the right to have sex, period. And so an underage person could choose to have sex with an adult as a, their fundamental right. And so, again, this could be at the, the far end of things. You know, I'm not saying that that's going to be an, abs- an, right. a, an exact um, implication of this law. But because it's so broad, yeah. it could be included in that. Um, additionally, they redefine what fetal viability means. And so... Right now, fetal viability, the definition is at what point can the, the, can the baby survive so outside, the, outside womb. the womb? And so living in Michigan, we've got um, great university hospitals. Uh, university of Michigan is one of the best um, children's hospital in the whole country. A baby uh, born at 21 or 22 weeks has about a 50% chance to survive outside the womb. That's considered viability. Uh, they're viable at that point. Right. 
This defines fetal viability as being able to survive outside the womb without any extraordinary medical intervention. And the reason that, that we're even talking about fetal liability is because the, the language allows the legislature to impose Limits. A, a limit at viability, but it's pushing liability, viability way toward the end. Yeah, we're talking 35 weeks because uh, the lungs are the last thing to develop in a baby because they're the last thing that they need. Right. Um, and so, um, I mean, but... You know, my daughter, my eldest daughter, Eleanor, when she was born, she had some complications mm -hmm. and was on a ventilator for a week. Well, without any extraordinary uh, intervention by her doctors at 40, she was born at 41 weeks. So for her, 41 weeks was not viable by this definition. So in one sense, this, again, opens it way further than it has and, been and before. you know, the, the partial birth abortion uh, is just a monstrous way uh, to exercise a woman's right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's horrible yeah. uh, what is done to, to these children. And I don't want to demonize those people who promote this, but there's no way that the doctors... And, and that it wouldn't even be doctors. It could be someone who's not even medically trained who would be able to do uh, abortions now, mm -hmm. even exactly. partial birth abortions mm -hmm. uh, in this new regime, should mm -hmm. this, God forbid, pass. Yeah, we have a law that says only physicians can perform abortions. That would go away because this is defined as any health care professional. Um, and in the state of Michigan, I forget how many different professions are considered health care professionals, but I do know it includes... Um, folks like uh, chiropractors. Um, so uh, there's a broad spectrum of people that are included in healthcare professionals. So we just wanted to kind of go through a little bit and, and show how um, a, a lot of times what is can look like kind of boilerplate um, language in, in a, a proposal can actually have wider implications because um, of a, a certain choice of a word rather than another choice of a word. And um, to give you all a chance to, to better equip yourselves with the knowledge of what this, um, what this proposal is actually saying. You know, <clears throat> for my whole life, Roe v. Wade was the law of the land. Right. And for decades, going to the right for life a march in Washington, D.C. in January. I think we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I never thought that Roe... I mean, I hoped, sure, but I never thought in reality that we would overcome it. Yeah. And if there's ever been a situation of getting out of the frying pan and into the fire, we're in it. And so I know a lot of people um, in this parish have been in the pro-life effort, either through action or through prayer for, for years and years and years. Let's not let this be the time where we set down our our our, our weapons of, of spiritual battle. Um, because well, there's no question. I, I'm I'm grateful <clears throat> that the the bishop has led you know this fight like heaven uh, in the 54 day uh, novena and a lot of the initiatives that you and others at the diocese have been involved with. You know the parish captains helping us get out the word uh, with regard to uh, the dangers of this proposal. Uh, I think. As I said the weekend that I read the bishop's letter, um, it's not obvious to me that if we do everything we 
can that it will be defeated. No. Because there is such uh, a demonization uh, within the body politic and the reasonableness of our arguments with those who are pro-choice, that this is dangerous, uh, so often is rejected. Mm -hmm. They're saying you're lying about it. Uh, It's those in the middle, and we've got friends and family, and I'm hoping that we will all be able to share and say this I'm against all abortions, that's what I would say. Uh, But even if you're open to some abortions, what this constitutional amendment would do is enshrine in our Constitution, as you pointed out, all manner of potential evil that could be unleashed on our children and the most vulnerable in our communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would say uh, we do have some events that are coming up around the diocese uh, specifically geared towards those who are unsure are maybe on the fence they've got questions um maybe um all the messaging they've seen has been coming from folks that maybe they don't agree with politically on all the other hosts of issues so we're going to hold hold um a series of town hall meetings around the diocese um the one that would be closest to resurrection is on october 20th at the cathedral and there in, the, in Mercy Hall, or is it in the in the cathedral itself? itself? Uh, yeah, okay. in the cathedral itself. Um, and uh, we'll have um, doctors, lawyers, um, representatives from Democrats for Life. Um, we'll all be there to answer questions and to um, to um, allow people to help them settle their mind on on which direction that they want to go on this. Um, the the. Uh, this really will be a night for question and answer. There will be some short presentations, but the majority of the time will be for people to, uh, to ask their questions. But as you said, this is a spiritual battle. And, um, you know, we just saw that this past weekend uh, when we're recording now. We had um, some vandalism on the parish property. Um, we had folks that spray painted um, on the sidewalk, but also on the church itself. On the itself, church itself, right? yeah. And then the, the electronic sign. Um, the yeah it it's they're they're raging against us because of what we stand for and uh, they don't understand us they don't understand that we actually love them and uh, my message to us this past weekend is to pray for them pray for their conversion and uh, we forgive them uh, but we we want them to be healed mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> of the lies and the deception. Uh, what is behind this proposal and so much of what's happening in our world right now is the demonic undermining of the very core of society, the family, mm-hmm. and what it means to be human beings. And uh, it, they want it to be forbidden to forbid, but there's a performative contradiction in that. Mm-hmm. We forbid you from forbidding, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it's forbidden to forbid, but we're going to forbid you from forbidding, yeah. right? No, there's got to be some moral truth. It's not my truth, your truth. Otherwise, we've just got power politics. Mm-hmm. And for us, we're called to forgive and to love and to pray. And that's how we need to live, come what may, come whatever may. Mm-hmm. If, this is, if this passes... We have work to do moving forward in terms of legislation and trying to figure out other ways to protect the most vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, 
just like we've always done. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's it's very clear. I don't know for the past 150, 200, probably the all of history that at the core of all the devil's attacks is the human family, the human person trying to undermine what that is because we're made in God's image and likeness. That's right. And so at the end of the day, maybe, maybe we don't have any power to affect legislation, 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 <laughs> had to get that one out. Yeah. Um, but we can raise our families, we can build culture, we can worship God and do all the things that healthy humanity is supposed to be doing. And that's one of the reasons we love being a part of resurrection so much is because that's a priority here. That's right. And, so I, and I, I do think that the way to evangelize the culture is to be living a life that is attractive to those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Mm -hmm. The broken will want ultimately a place where they can find healing. Right now, the offer in the world is get buzzed, mm -hmm. uh, you know, get drunk, or lash out. No, we can actually be free to receive love and to give love. That's why we're here, mm -hmm. to love. Love God and love our neighbors. And let's love them and love them enough to engage them in discussions about Proposal 3, but most of all about the fact that there is hope in what seem is a seemingly hopeless world. Christ is the answer. Yeah, and if we lose Proposal 3, hope doesn't go away. That's right. Um, hope never disappoints, right? And so um, what we'll be called to will just be different. And yeah. so we just need to be faithful to that call as And well. I think for us in these, these days until the election, we need to leave it all on the field, as it were. Exactly. But we don't want to talk about football. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that sounds good. I think we've uh, we've reached the end of our time, and um, we'll uh, we'll see you next time on Resurrection Life Podcast. God Great. bless. Indeed, and let's keep praying for each other and uh, praying uh, to our Lady uh, for the defeat of Proposal Three. God bless you all. As we go through life, we experience many hardships. But many times, the distress we feel is internal. In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we consider how dwelling on our past or on what may happen in the future can lead to anxiety and fear, and we hear how peace and joy can be found by seeking the grace from God in the present moment. Living in the Present We've often heard it said that this life is a veil of tears. Sure, there are many good things that we can experience, but every human being experiences also tragedy, disappointment, discomfort or distress of one kind or another. These experiences can arise from hard events that happen to us, but often much of our distress is internal and goes on in our mind without any external agent at work. We can become discouraged or anxious or fearful simply by dwelling on things that are not good for us. One of the main ways in which Satan tries to discourage us is by reminding us of sinful things we have said or done. Sometimes it's not even sinful things that we have done, but things we are simply embarrassed by or that we feel shame about. Sometimes it's something that just happened that he reminds us of 
And sometimes he brings to our mind stuff from the distant past that we are ashamed of. Very often we are unaware that we are in a spiritual battle and that the thoughts that go through our minds are actually influenced by evil spirits who would like nothing better than to destroy us. Satan is constantly trying to pervert our true identity as beloved sons and daughters of the Father. And the result of his reminding us of our shameful past is that we get the idea that we are unworthy or stupid or alone or abandoned or not good enough. He makes us feel cheap and lacking in any value or worth. In order for us to be free of the oppression that these lies can bring upon us, we need to fight against that spiritual attack. Here's what St. Teresa of Avila said about this tactic of the devil and how to combat it. The devil will try to upset you by accusing you of being unworthy of the blessings you have received. Simply remain cheerful and do your best to ignore the devil's nagging. If need be, even laugh at the absurdity of the situation. Satan, the epitome of sin itself, accuses you of unworthiness. When the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. It's also worth making a conscious effort to forget past sins that we have repented of and been forgiven for. There's an old analogy that used to circulate which describes the effect of confession. Jesus is in a rowboat with you and he's rowing out into the middle of a lake. In the boat is a large sack with a label. On the label is written, Sins. When he gets to the middle of the lake, he throws the sack overboard. Then he places a buoy in the water with a flag on it, on which are written the words, No Fishing. But to the same extent, the devil will also put into our minds various scenarios about what the future will look like. Sometimes he suggests to us a bright future of wealth, health, good family relationships, esteem and interesting activities, but then reminds us that we will never have those things and that they are just an illusion. But sometimes he conjures up a picture of the future that is full of disaster, fear and dire events. He reminds us that what awaits us in the future is pain, loneliness, financial ruin. And these images might relate to what will happen in old age, but they might just as well be what will happen next year, next month, tomorrow, or even in the next hour or two. Again, we can combat the uncomfortable feeling that life is going to go wrong for us and that we will never have what we want by concentrating on the present. St. Rose Philippine Duquesne, who lived in the 18th century, was a sister of the Society of the Sacred Heart and was an early missionary to the United States. And what she used to say about this was, Do not look back to the past nor forward to the future. Claim only the present, for it holds God's will. This is actually quite a profound statement. When you think about the times when we felt miserable or depressed or anxious or fearful, it's almost always because we were dwelling on the past 
or on the future. The only time we have is the present. Only God knows for certain what will happen in the future. But if we entrust our lives to him, he will not abandon us. This is not to say that life will be a bed of roses, but that God will always be with us in every situation, protecting us, encouraging us, and strengthening us. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, No trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tried beyond what you are able to bear, but with the trial will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. C.S. Lewis famously said, The present is the only time in which any duty may be done or grace received. There is real grace for getting through this life, but it's not to be found by dwelling on the past or by worrying about the future. It's to be found in the present moment. If we concentrate on the present, we will discover that God loves us. Indeed, as St Ignatius of Loyola reminds us, God is constantly trying to break into our lives with love. It is only by being self-aware in the present moment that we can discover God's presence in our lives. God's love and peace and joy are all to be found in steeping ourselves in his presence. This doesn't necessarily mean praying all the time but simply being aware of him watching over us with love. Love is the only thing that God imparts. It's the only thing he can impart because he himself is love. He is not up in heaven making a record of every slip that we make, taking note of when we gossip, when we indulge in hateful speech, when we commit sexual sins or when we get angry. He is constantly loving us and wanting our good. One of the ways that God loves us is that he tries to adjust and manipulate the circumstances of our lives so that we can better perceive his presence and comply with his will. His love is always faithful and it never fails or grows cold because of our sins or failings. If we could only open ourselves to the possibilities that his love affords us, we would find peace and joy and would discover the ultimate fulfilment that we were created for, and that we have always longed for in our lives. That fulfilment can be ours if we seek for it in the here and now. All of us are prone to worry and to feelings of worthlessness. A very good way of combating those feelings is to think about God's benevolent presence constantly with us as a stream of love. God has created us out of love and wants nothing better than to spend all of eternity in our presence. It is by trying to spend time in his presence in the here and now that we begin to discover how benevolent he really is, how patient, how kind. It's by forgetting the sins of the past and setting aside concerns over the future and seeking his love in the present moment that we eventually find the fulfilment and peace that we crave in this life. Let's pray and ask for God's grace to find his love in the present moment. Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself, 
and our hearts are restless till they rest in you. Help us to discover your faithful love by seeking you in each moment of our lives. Give us the grace to resist the promptings of the devil who would tell us we are worthless. Give us the grace to resist the temptation to worry about the future and to fret over what may never come about. Our lives are in your hands and we want to surrender all that we have to you. We know that you love us and want only what is good for us. Show us your everlasting, unconditional love and give us your peace and joy. Amen. We finish this episode with a poem by Joseph Plunkett, I See His Blood Upon the Rose, read by Paul Cooch. Joseph Plunkett was born in one of Dublin's most affluent districts. Both his parents came from wealthy backgrounds, and his father, George Noble Plunkett, had been made a papal count. Plunkett contracted tuberculosis at a young age and spent part of his youth in the warmer climates of the Mediterranean and North Africa. He spent time in Algiers where he studied Arabic literature and language and composed poetry in Arabic. Throughout his life, Joseph Plunkett took an active interest in Irish heritage and the Irish language and also studied Esperanto. Plunkett joined the Gaelic League and began studying with Thomas McDonough, with whom he formed a lifelong relationship. Both were poets with an interest in theater. Plunkett was one of the original members of the Irish Republican Brotherhood Military Committee that was responsible for planning the Easter Rising, and it was largely his plan that was followed. The Easter Rising was an armed insurrection in Ireland during the Easter week in April 1916. The Rising was launched by Irish Republicans against British rule in Ireland with the aim of establishing an independent Irish Republic while the United Kingdom was fighting the First World War. For his part in the insurrection, Plunkett was court-martialed and executed at the age of 28. In the following poem, the poet expressed the truth that evidence of the presence of Jesus in the world can be found all around us in nature. I See His Blood Upon the Rose by Joseph Plunkett I see his blood upon the rose, and in the stars the glory of his eyes. His body gleams amid eternal snows. His tears fall from the skies. I see his face in every flower. The thunder and the singing of the birds are but his voice, and carven by his power, rocks are his written words. All pathways by his feet are worn. His strong heart stirs the ever-beating sea. His crown of thorns is twined with every thorn. His cross is every tree. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelansing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelansing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.